crowd on its feet. 20,000 plus here, trying to be that sixth man. Kyrie sizing up Westbrook, fires a long one. Oh, the bottom video game again, Kyrie Irving. Time out, Thunder. I can't take it anymore. Welcome to The Bottom, a Cleveland Cavaliers podcast with Fear the Sword. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, and today I'm joined by Jackson Flickinger, and we're going to talk about the NBA trade deadline. It was a very busy trade deadline for most of the league. The Cavaliers decided to stay put. Some people are very disappointed by that. Others are okay with it. Uh, Jackson, how did you feel about the Cavs' decision to do nothing at the deadline? Um, so I was expecting them to not do a whole lot just because I didn't think there was a lot of moves out there that was going to make them clearly better. Um, once I saw the flurry of activity on when on Thursday afternoon, uh, I became a little surprised that the Cavs were one of the few teams that didn't get involved. Um, but overall, I'm kind of surprised, but also not surprised, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I was, uh, you know, coming into the week, I was really starting to feel like there was going to be a trade made, especially with Levert sitting out a bunch of games where it seemed like, you know, I, I guess it was just rest in general, like getting him healthy, but it seemed like he was questionable for a while and they kept resting him. So I was definitely feeling like a trade was coming last night. I changed my mind. I was like, okay, I'm not hearing any rumors. And then I woke up this morning and everybody in the NBA is getting traded. Players are going going for five second-round draft picks, all of this craziness. And I'm thinking maybe the Cavs will make a move. Overall, they decided to stay put. I I would say I'm mildly disappointed because I do think this team, it's so clear how much better they are when they have shooting. And if there was any way you were going to add more shooting to this roster you know, before the playoffs, it was probably trading Karis LeVert. That was like your only chance of doing that, unless Dylan Windler makes a miracle comeback. But other than that, trading Levert was what I think most people wanted, and a lot of people are upset. And my job today is to be Karis Levert's number one defender. I want to make it clear I'm not the biggest Karis Levert guy. I'm not putting all of my faith into him. But I do think Kobe Altman and the Cavs coaching staff, they see something in Levert, and there's a reason why they decided to keep him. And I'm going to do my best to explain what that reason is, at least from my perspective. Well, good luck. Um, it's a tough job you decided to undertake. <laughs> Not many people would have willingly just died on the hill of Karis LeVert, but you and Kobe seem to, that's where they, that's where both of you want to be. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been getting tested all day on Twitter, so uh, I'm ready for this. All right. And I want to start off by let's do like a little retrospection of when the Cavs first traded for Karis LeVert. Because I think when they made that move, there was two things, uh, two thought processes going on. Firstly, uh, there was a sense of urgency back then because Sexton goes down, Rubio goes down. This Cavs team is on the verge of making a playoff run, and they just needed another guy out there who could play alongside Garland and take some ball-handling responsibilities. So there was definitely a short-term aspect to the move. But I also think Kobe Altman and the coaching staff looked at Levert and they saw a potential long-term fit there. And I think that's what they're basically banking on here is that when this team is fully healthy and even going back to when they first traded for him, I think they looked at Levert's play style and thought when you have Garland and Sexton at the time, 
Levert could be the third guy out there, the third ball handler, come off the bench. When they trade for Mitchell and they bring Rubio back, it was the same thought process. Levert, as an individual player, I think he is at his best when he is the second or third distributor on the floor. And so long-term, now that Garland and Mitchell are, are you know, gelling together, Rubio's back in the mix. I think Kobe Altman basically looked at the second half of the season and the team's successful. So let's see if Levert can find a way to fit in this role that we really haven't seen him in up to this point. He's had moments here and there in the season, but this will be his first time playing alongside those three guards in the rotation. And so I think that was the thought process is we're going to give this a chance and see what happens. Yeah, uh, it definitely made a lot of sense at this time last year, especially because, you know, Rubio was on an expiring deal, not going to be able to really replace that easily in free agency. So it just was like, you got to move that contract. And this is, we have a chance to make the playoffs for the first time without, without 23. So it's just, so like, it made sense. He was a guy that needed ball, they needed ball handling. Nobody on the team last year could dribble. You know, when you were playing three bigs, you need to find, you needed to find ways to get them involved. Uh, so it made a lot of sense to go and get him. Uh, I don't think the move worked out as well as they would have thought. There was a lot of factors. He was he was injured right after uh, they made the move. Then the then All Star break happened, and he was he missed a few weeks after All Star break. Then Darius got hurt. Then Jared got hurt. So you know, last year didn't go to plan, but that's not really it's not totally you know Levert's fault. Uh, but then the Mitchell trade, I think the Mitchell trade just kind of changes everything. Because as you brought up, you know, he could fit good alongside Colin Sexton um, and and Darius Garland. And yeah, I do think that that would have been a lot better because conceptually for Levert, because it's like, hey, we can put Levert in a starting lineup with with Darius. We can now actually move Colin to the bench. We don't, we're not playing two, six, two guys um, on the perimeter. So that's like something that makes sense. And then when you get Donovan Mitchell, it just blows everything up because Donovan Mitchell's, you know, a top tier offensive player, one of the best offensive players in the league. He needs the ball in his hand. So it's just completely blows everything up, which, you know, that's, you know, it's a deal that you make. The Cavs are better for it, but it just kind of leaves Levert in kind of a weird position. So I think the Mitchell trade just throws a wrench into the Levert plans in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, that's where things get a little weird. Um, Yeah. I I think that's a good point. Uh, It's something that I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think when people are talking about whether or not Levert should be traded, and there's a lot of people who are upset that they didn't, I think it's important to keep in mind that Levert really is the seventh option on this team. Like, I mean, it depends on how you feel about Rubio at this point. But like he's the seventh, maybe even eighth man if Dean Wade steps up. Like it, he's in the back end of the rotation is the point that I'm making, and so and that obviously is a, a part of the Mitchell trade and moving his role because I think if you don't have Mitchell, Levert would be a starter on this team, and I think one reason why his fit with the team looks almost worse than it is, and this is not a knock on Mobley and Allen, but I do think if you put Levert on other teams next to like Garland or someone like that, even in the starting lineup next to Garland and Mitchell, I think Levert would look all right. But because there's just no other spacing out there, when you add Levert into that mix, 
it's a lot harder to make that fit. And so when we're looking at LeVert and what this Cavs team is working with now, I'm really excited to see if he can develop any chemistry with Rubio on the bench or what they're going to do in the playoffs. Because as much as I love Isaac Okoro and he has made a huge leap in terms of three-point shooting, I still wonder if you get to the playoffs, teams are going to let him shoot. And throughout the course of the regular season, if he has you know a four-game stretch where he doesn't shoot the ball that well, it's not that big of a deal. But if you get to the playoffs and Okoro goes over five across the first three games or whatever, like that could that could cost you the series right there. And so since they kept Levert, this does give you the option or the potential to say, all right, Okoro is just not getting it done out there. He's not spacing the floor the way we need. And Levert could be an X factor to come off the bench to stagger with Garland and Mitchell and give the Cavs a jolt of offense that I don't think they'll have anywhere else, uh, aside from possibly Rubio. Yeah, I mean, I don't really disagree with you because I'm, you know, Okoro has been great, but there's definitely concerns, as we know, that playoff basketball is not regular season basketball. And just because you're playing good in January and February doesn't mean you're going to be doing good in December, uh, not December, uh, if you're going to be doing good in April <laughs> and May when things really matter. So I definitely I definitely see what you're saying there. Um, I think kind of the biggest, like, the most frustrating part with Lever is that conceptually he's always been a better fit with the Cavs than what he's shown on the court. So mm-hmm. you look at his, you look at his numbers, you're like, Oh, he's a 36.7% three point shooter. That's something you can live with. You know, he, what is he on, on catch and shoot threes? He's 38.7%. It's like, yeah, that's, that's good. That's what we, that's what we need. But the problem with Levert is that he he doesn't like he doesn't stick to what he's best at. Um, so, like for example, if we're if you just take a look at his you know at his shot chart, you know he takes a lot of he takes a lot of these really bad mid range shots. So mm-hmm. on the season, he's shooting thirty one percent on mid-range shots that's 54 for 174 which is not good first you don't you don't want someone taking that many mid-range shots and second you definitely don't want someone taking that shot at 31 percent. that's worse than he's shooting three-pointers yeah he and he's everything inside the paint has been very bad for him inside the three-point line i mean has just not been good for the vert Right. And, you know, when you look at his, his, his percentage at the rim, he's shooting 60% at the rim, which is in the 37th percentile for guards. So that's, you know, he's taking a lot of shots that you don't want him to take. And he's, you know, missing those ones that he's taking. And then the (laughs) shots that he, and the, the shots that you do want him to take, he's not, he's not actually hitting. So like, for example, if we're looking at his, his his um, frequency his frequency of shots in mid range he's taking thirty two percent of his shots are in the mid range which is a lot that's in the seventy fifth percentile so that's really he's taking a ton of shots there and he's just not hitting them and that's it's one of the things where like he'll get into like a pick and roll and then the defense drops and he just takes that you know free throw line shot and he's just mm-hmm. he's just not making them and he just doesn't he doesn't like have a counter and that's something that 
teams have just been living with. And he's not like he's not a good move. He's not good at moving off ball and he's not he's not decisive when he gets the ball. And that's one thing, that's one of the things that I think I'm most impressed about with Okoro right now is that when he does get the ball, he's making super quick decisions. You know, against that's a big improvement. Right. And that's like that's what you need. And Karis has has been more of a ball stopper than anything. So, like, for example, yesterday, um on Wednesday night when they when the Cavs were playing the Pistons, there was a couple times where they kicked it to Okoro in the corner. His man, his man uh closed out hard. He took him baseline off the dribble. The help rotated over and he made a quick pass to a cutter. And they got an easy lip. He did that twice. He ended up with five assists yesterday. That's the kind of stuff that like that happens very quick. He only took like one dribble to do that. You know, that's a couple seconds. That's just those are little things that Isaac Okoro brings that Karis Levert doesn't. And that's kind of that's kind of what's frustrating is Karis Levert has the skills to be he has the skills to be better than what he has been. And it's tough mm-hmm. because it's like hey, we're putting him in an entirely different role. He's somebody who's used to having the ball in his hands. He's played this whole way his entire career. But really, when the Cavs decided not to trade him, they're basically they're basically stuck with him. You know, this is going to be like the J.R. Smith situation where J.R. Smith can ask for whatever contract he wants, and he's basically going to get it because the Cavs, you know, the Cavs didn't have, you know, if they let J.R. Smith go, they have no way of replacing him. And if mm-hmm. Karis Levert goes, you have very limited ways of, of replacing him. So it's just really – that's, I think, where all the frustration comes from. It's that – it's not that he's he can't be good because, like, theoretically, as you described, he he does a lot of things that you need. Like, yes, they need ball handlers, especially when you have two bigs that aren't, that aren't ball handlers yet or shooters. Dean Wade's not somebody who's really – likes to handle the ball. Like, Okoro is – like two dribble max guy at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they, they conceptually need what he brings, but it's, it's just not there. Like there's something missing. Yeah. I, I understand the frustration with Levert for sure. In terms of, you know, being a ball stopper at times, taking shots out of the flow of the offense, making some, some of his turnovers are very, very frustrating. So Levert definitely comes with his flaws, my hope is that when, you know, given, getting back to kind of the long-term plan here and the fact that he should be the seventh or eighth man in the rotation, I would hope that some of those flaws and the harm that he causes will be minimized in a refined role where he has been good next to Garland and Mitchell. I, I do want to bring up that out of the Cavaliers' five, you know, five-man lineups, their five-man units, Lavert is actually a part of their first, third, fourth and fifth best five-man lineups of the year. So he has found a way to fit. The problem for me, and I think, well, the problem for Levert is whenever he's out there and asked to do more than just be a secondary or even a tertiary creator. When you have a game like Wednesday against the Pistons, where it's him and Neto out there, and Levert's feeling more pressure to, you know, create shots and to create offense, that's when you get into these bad isolation, you know, score or like shot attempts. He shot, he shot what? Like I think he started one for 10 again or something. The good thing is 
when he is next to Rubio, or if we get into like a playoff rotation, I don't think Levert is even going to be taking 10 or 12 shots on any given night. So hopefully you will not. limit. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> things could be bad if he's taking 12 shots a night or on the reverse though. And this is the other thing you kind of minimize the harm that he does because since he is deeper in the rotation now, if he goes out there and he starts one for five, you can just play Dean Wade or someone else would be the hope on the flip side of that though. Levert is a very streaky player. If he comes out and he's three for three and he's knocking down these shots and he's fitting next to whatever lineup you have out there, then you can play him a little more. And so that's a benefit that I think you get from Levert. And the thing to me that he brings to this team that makes him valuable as that second or third guy is that, and it's funny because the most important thing should be making the shot and actually, you know, scoring points, but he is very good at breaking down a defense or at least I would say above average at breaking down a defense he can get to the rim he might not be finishing the shots which is what you would want but he still does get to the rim and to me like if you look at someone who's bad at three-point shooting for example teams will just leave you open you're you're a non-factor out there but if you're bad at finishing at the rim you're still gonna draw defenders at you if you get into the paint that's just NBA defense they might not swarm you but you are gonna break down the defense if you manage to get in there and where I think Levert is at his best is when he is getting downhill and he's drawing in that help defender and he dumps off a pass to Allen or Mobley. All the lineups where he's playing next to Allen or Mobley, well, not all the lineups, but some of the ones I was looking at, they do really good. And because when he is able to get into a rhythm and get downhill and not settle for a mid-range shot or a floater, he's good at setting up the big men. And I and one last thing that I want to say before I flip it back to you, I also think the reason why he's good as a secondary ball handler next to you know, Garland or Mitchell, whoever it may be, is that when he does break down the defense, he's able to kick it out. And now Garland or whoever it is, is playing with a half step advantage. And they're being put in a position where they're attacking a closeout rather than, you know, a stationary dribble. So that's Levert in theory. Uh, I think the fact that he is 28 years old now, and he's kind of always been this player is a concern. And so to wrap it up, I do just think the role that he's in will hopefully minimize the things that he's not very good at and that I don't think are going to change. And on any given night when he is doing the right thing or he is rolling, then you'll be able to play him a little more. So that's the hope. Yeah. Um, so I would push back with a couple of those things. Uh, first, you mentioned you mentioned the lineups are good. And yes, the lineups are good. But that's basically just because Garland, Mitchell, and, else is so and Allen and yeah. Mobley. Yeah, like the Cavs, <laughs> like like that's the whole thing. The Cavs have the second best net, net rating in the entire league. And it feels like they have nobody that really fits alongside them. The mm-hmm. person who has consistently fit the best with the starting lineup is Isaac Okora. And we've, we've been over before how his game isn't exactly like the most w- well-rounded in the, mm-hmm. in the league. But it's just, hey, if we get somebody out there who does just a little, who's good at just a little bit of things, just a couple of things, you can be really good in the regular season. Obviously, as you mentioned, the questions about the playoffs is really, you know, that's a different animal. Um, but some other numbers that I have. Uh, so with without Levert on the court, the Cavs have a 119.7 offensive rating, which is ridiculously good. Without With Levert on the court, they have a 113.3 which is not ridiculous, not ridiculously good. Uh, a defensive rating without without him is 109.3, which is very good. With him, they've played really good defense with him. He's 110.9. But basically, the net the net rating is a big difference. 
without Levert on the season, they are outscoring opponents by 10.4 points per 100 possession possessions with them on, I mean, with them off, and with them on, it's just 2.4. So they've been they've been a better team in general when he's not on the floor. Obviously, him being on the bench is going to skew things a little bit, but he has had a lot of time with the starters as well. So that's just where it's like a lot of what you're saying is all theoretical. And it's like, yes, he can break down a defense. Yes, he can kick it out to, to Garland and Mitchell. But when everyone sags off of him, what does he do? He takes that he takes that mid-range shot that mm-hmm. he's just not hitting. So it's it's like if you had not like that's a frustrating thing. If you had like a peak version of, you know, Levert, like if he was playing the way that you really, really want him to, then yes, he could be a really valuable piece. If not, it's like, it's just, it's just tough because you have a lot of, you know, you don't really, you don't really have a lot of options that JB trusts coming off that bench, especially guys that he can trust that can dribble the ball besides Ricky Rubio, who, you really don't want to rely on too much just considering he's coming off of his ACL injury. So that's where it's just like, it's, it's frustrating and it's difficult to, you know, this overt conversation. That's why, that's why it gets, you know, that's why people are, are um, angry. So mm-hmm. I get all, I get all those gas fans that are. Yeah. I get the frustration too. I think I am making the case for Karis Levert, but I do want to, again, just drive from the fact that, I'm not putting all my faith in him. I'm not I'm not dying on the hill that he will do any of these things. I'm dying on the hill that he has the potential to, okay? Because there are some people who are just writing him off as like there's no he's he's a absolute negative. He's not gonna help this team. I am simply saying there's a chance he could. I see what Colby Altman sees. Whether or not it happens, I don't know. The numbers he's- you brought up are great, because uh, I think they show kind of the wonky fit that he has been and I will the only counter I have to that is that it has been a roller coaster season for him in terms of, you know, the roles that he's playing in the starting lineup, out of the starting lineup, games where Mitchell isn't playing, Garland, like, you know, like last night against the Pistons. That's a weird game for him. So I do get the point that those numbers are very valid, but I also think in the role that I want him in, he has been decent for the year. So he's. He's been decent, but like Isaac Okoro's been better, and Isaac like yeah. he's been better offensively. That's the thing. Like Isaac Okoro hasn't been better defensively. I mean, he has been, mm. but that's not the conversation. It's Isaac Okoro's been a better offensive fit. You're like, wait, mm. if Isaac Okoro, that's not what you want, right? Yeah. Like if if Isaac Okoro is a better offensive fit, then you, there's a lot of issues, you know. Mm. And yeah. no disrespect to Isaac Okoro because he's played he's played fantastic and he's definitely he's found a role which is really good and I think we've talked about that recently but mm. that's where it's just like if you're not bringing it on the offensive end and you're erratic defensively because he's someone who like he's he's the we talked about this like the Cavs over help and then try to recover on defense and mm. he's like the poster child of over helping unnecessarily and then yeah. just closing out like a madman. It's and like fouling he had, someone. Right. Like he I don't think he fouled anybody yesterday who was shooting a three, <laughs> which is which is crazy. But like, you'd have to check. I don't, I don't know. There was some in the first half, some, someone on Detroit shot a corner three and he like closed out so hard he ended up in like the second row. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what yeah I saw like, that. Like what are you doing? <laughs> like that's not You're not affecting the shot. Right. It's just and that's and that's the thing. It's like it's just bad defense and it's 
it's frustrating. And that's why, that's why he gets all those foul calls because it's like, that's just not, if you're in position, you're in control and he's just out of control sometimes on defense. So it's, that's where it's, that's where it's just frustrating. Yeah. But at least the Cavs still have Jetty. So that's, we're okay. Of course. Of course. He's, he's always there if you need him. Uh, the the final point I want to make in this Levert discussion is that uh, I don't think we're done hearing about Levert and trade rumors. If he does stay in Cleveland, which again, like you mentioned, he has a lot of leverage kind of coming into his next deal because the Cavs just don't have many other options than to just sign him. So assuming that he doesn't completely finesse them and he is still on a somewhat tradable deal, I'm sure we're going to hear rumors in the summer of where he could be moved. Guys are available every year at the deadline, whether or not those guys are going to be upgrades. I don't know, but you saw this year, a million guys just got traded and at least half of them, it seems like gets traded every year. So there are going to be options moving forward. This wasn't the final opportunity to trade Levert. Maybe it was your best. I don't know. I I, I don't want to speculate too much on what, what will be available in the future, but I do just want to say for anyone who's frustrated, and I'm one of those people, uh, this was not the last opportunity you'll have to shake up the roster. And to Colby Altman's credit, he's done the hard part. You know, Mobley, Allen, Mitchell, Garland, Aquaros making uh, potentially making a, a leap here. He's done the very difficult part. Most teams can't get those five star players like that, or, or just five high quality players. The the easy part usually is finding the supporting cast. And as I said supporting guys are available all the time you just kind of have to make the right deal when it's available and so i'm putting my faith in kobe i think even if levert doesn't work out they still have plenty of time it's it's early in the process for this team you don't want to be complacent but if it doesn't work out this year they're taking a flyer on whether or not levert will fit if he doesn't you address that in the summer you address that an next deadline and it could come back to haunt you but i don't think it's anything to be too uh, overly frustrated about yet, but you can yeah. be frustrated for sure. Yeah. And it's like, it's the Cavs aren't on like the clock. Like it's not like they're going to have all four guys next year. So you know that, Hey, like if it doesn't work this year, there is actually next year. Um, but the frustrating thing is like, Hey, this team has the second best net rating in the entire league. They've been so good. The four, like their big four fit so well together. And that's the thing where it's like the supporting cast doesn't really fit or at least doesn't fit as good as it could fit. And there's, and they've still been so good. Like this is a team that like, if, if, if you're talking about any other team, that's like, has this good of a net rating, you're like, Hey, this team should be in the conference finals at worst. And we're saying, mm-hmm. Hey, the best scenario is we win the first round. So it's yeah. just, yeah. Which I think is a realistic, you know, I think it's a, that's. A realistic I think most of that comes from their age, yeah. Right, but it's like I also don't. I I also don't think age is as big of a deal as people make it out to be. Like mm-hmm. experience, experience is a experience is a double edged sword. It's like when you don't have the experience, you think, "Hey, why not us?" When you do have that experience, you know all the reasons why it might not be your turn. So I think. Like, I think this team, you know, I think, I don't think they're too young. I think Mobley, Mobley getting a little bit better, you know, just getting a little better at all the things that he's already good at is what's going to take this team over the top. 
Um, but this team's still really good. And it's like, if they're in the right series, if they had the right pieces around them, this is a team that, Hey, they could like, they could take Boston or, or, a, or a Milwaukee seven games. If they, you know, if things were working mm-hmm. out for them, they also could get swept, but you know, like the best version of this team can't compete with those teams, I think. So, and I think that's mm-hmm. where it gets frustrating because it's like, Hey, if you're losing on the margins, which I think the Cavs currently are, then you don't give yourself that good of a chance to do that. So that's where, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, they do have next year and probably a few years after that, this isn't the end of everything, but man, when everyone's healthy, you just want to put them in the best position to succeed. Yeah. I think it's especially frustrating because they're like, as you mentioned, they are already so good, even with the team, not necessarily being constructed top to bottom the way you would want it. And so when every single fan can see that, like, man, if they just had another shooter, this team would be unstoppable. When everyone can see that and you know that there are shooters out there, it's very, very frustrating to see the Cavs sit at the deadline and not make a move for a Luke Kennard or someone, you know, in that caliber. Right. Um, and I think this is a, a good opportunity now to zoom out a little bit as we're talking about the Cavs title hopes and everything. Even though the Cavs didn't make a move at the deadline, I still think a lot of good things happened for them specifically, because if you look at it, Brooklyn basically off the board. Now you don't have to worry about them uh, with, Kevin Durant being gone, Kyrie being gone. That's a team that was right on your heels that you no longer have to worry about in the standings. Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> and I think that's really good because I think the Nets are were a particularly bad matchup for the Cavs. They didn't really have anybody who could guard. Nobody has anybody who could guard Durant, but you want mm-hmm. to put as many bodies as possible on him. Yeah. And the Cavs don't have as many bodies as possible to put on Durant. And- and when you have Kyrie and Durant, that puts a Coro in a position where it's like you want a Coro guarding Kyrie, and now you're going to ask Dean Wade to guard Durant. I guess that was a very tough matchup for them, right? And like you don't really want Evan Mobley. Like the problem with it's like, hey, we'll just put Evan Mobley on him. You don't want Evan. You want Evan Mobley switching from screens. You don't want Evan Mobley navigating screens to stay with yeah. his guy or so getting in foul trouble, right? So it's just. Like, and then it's like, hey, the Nets could go small, and any team that goes small scares me just because that's something that, like, not okay, not on any team, but any high level team. So that's a really big deal that, like, I think the Nets were probably like, yeah, the Celtics and Bucks are better teams, but I think the Cavs match up a little better against both of them than they do against the Nets. Same with the Sixers. Yeah, that's a huge deal. It's nice to not have to worry about a four or five matchup against Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Anytime you can avoid that, I'll take it. Uh, Looking at the rest of the East, though, or just really the NBA in general at this trade deadline, it felt like all the teams that got significantly better were in the Western Conference, whereas the East, for the most part, kind of made lateral moves. Philly made a good move to get uh, McDaniels. But other than that, I think the Cavs are now in a position where they should look at Philly, Milwaukee, and Boston as the three teams that I would say are ahead of them. Philly, maybe you can question it, but and, and Miami's another team that you can question. But with those three teams ahead of you, the Cavs now have to look at it and be like, all right, that's where we need to be. Either at the end of this season or by next season, we need to break into that tier and either get on their same level or pass them. And with Brooklyn off the table, that, you know, again, that path to getting there is more available. 
and they are pulling right ahead, right in the mix with Philly now. They're one game back in the standings. They're on a four-game win streak. They will play the 76ers right before the All-Star break, so it's possible the Cavs will be in third by the end of uh, the next week or the next few weeks. Yeah, and I think that's kind of their ceiling. Um, it's, you know, Milwaukee's on a tear right now. Boston has just been a great regular season team um, and a great playoff team, uh, but they've been a great regular season team as well. So it's tough to see them getting anywhere higher than three. But, um, you know, if they get to three, that'd be that'd be a huge deal because you, you're potentially looking at, if you're the third seed, you're saying, hey, we're going to probably play a team like the Knicks potentially, as opposed to being the four seed where you're going to be playing a team like the Miami Heat, which mm-hmm. is not a team you want to face. Um, no, not at all. Like, they were I mean, like, one shot away from the finals. People forget that. They they were right there last year. So Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think, I, you know, I think, I think they've taken, they've, they've certainly taken a step back this year, but mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, if you don't have to play the heat, you'd rather just not do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, as I mentioned, those three teams, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, the goal should be to get into that tier. And if you're looking at just this season, the goal should be, if you're not playing one of those three teams in the first round, you better win your series. Like, if you lose to Miami, I don't think it would be the end of the world. I don't think you should be that disappointed. But you should view – the Cavs should view Miami as a team that they can beat. The Knicks, I think that's a team that you can beat. Even the Hawks, the Raptors, teams that could give you problems. This team now, I think, can confidently say they should be the favorites in those series and they should be aiming to win it. If you play Philly, Boston, or Milwaukee, the goal there is just to be competitive. Obviously, the Cavs are going to tell themselves that we want to win and that we think we can win. As an objective viewer, the goal should be competitive. And I will say, I do think losing a seven game series to Milwaukee could be good for this team in the long run. If they get right on the door of beating a great team that has won a championship, they might enter the off season with a, a super chip on their shoulder and think like, man, we were right there. If we can just iron out these little details that they have struggled with throughout the season, next year could be different. So yeah, you just you just don't want to get like outclassed by any of yeah, those. Yeah, that's teams. the big thing. You you want to make it a, a, a competitive series at least. Right. You don't want to you don't want them to treat you like LeBron treated the Hawks and the you know uh, and like the Raptors for years. Like you you want to be in the series saying, Hey, like this is this is a team that you're gonna have to get past every single year and we're gonna be better every single year, you know. And and we'll see. It's like the Cavs have played well in the regular season. I think they match up. I think they match up decently against those teams. Like you can't, I don't, you know, those teams are better. So it's not like, I think that the Cavs are going to win those series or anything like that, but it's like mm-hmm. they match up well. So, you know, yeah. they have a chance to, you know, they have a chance to, they have a, a fighter's punch to win any series. I right. Think. Yeah. And to win a couple games, you know, like take mm. care of business at home, something like that. So that's, that's yeah. what you, you know, and, and you just want to see Darius Garland in that situation. You want to see how does Darius Garland react? Uh, you know, can Donovan Mitchell still do Utah Donovan Mitchell things on a team that's going to mm. be, that's going to have less spacing, um, you know, mm. with how is, is Isaac Okoro, is that just, is he just going to completely 
fall apart and be unplayable. Very interested to see how a quarter holds up in the playoffs. That'll be a, a huge key there. Right. Is he a 16-game player? Is an 82-game player? He's probably not a 16-game player yet, but we, you want to see signs that, hey, maybe maybe he mm-hmm. can't be. So it's just, you know... But for all the but for us to see all those things, you gotta you gotta finish the regular season well. You gotta be in the top. Yeah. I think I think you have to be you know, I think you have to be three if you really wanna it's it it is so huge that the Nets aren't the same hurdle that they mm-hmm. were before. Because if you were the four seed, you were gonna have to play the fifth seed, obviously. But that's mm-hmm. you know, there's five <laughs> good teams. Like there were there were five good teams, now there's four good teams. So um yeah, yeah it, if, it just makes if you're in the, the second round better. Yeah. If you're in the four or five matchup, that means you're playing most likely Miami, Brooklyn at the time with Durant, Kyrie, Philly, one of those three teams. So you don't really want to. It's good that they don't have to worry about Brooklyn. And I agree. I think three should be the goal. I think it's a very, very attainable goal at this point. I've been staying away from making too many predictions or like goals in terms of where they should fall in the standings because things were so close for so long. And there were a lot of uncertainties on the Cavs. I think now I can confidently say they should be gunning for that three spot. Four at the worst. Anything lower than that, I would feel a little disappointed. Um, but yeah, I think they just have a fighter's chance in any series. And Kobe, oh, <laughs> oh, give, give me a second. <laughs> but yeah, I think they have a fighter's chance in any series. And uh, Kobe Altman even mentioned in his presser today that there wasn't a trade they could make that was going to give them the answer to like, how is Garland going to hold up in a playoff series? What is Mobley's first playoff series going to look like? This is something that they have to figure out first, and then they can kind of readdress what they need to do from there. Yeah, I definitely agree um, that they do. You know, those are things that you don't really have answers for yet. Um, But, you know, I think it's kind of also – clear what this team's issues are but if you're mm-hmm. not bringing in someone is always tough the Cavs really haven't had good luck with bringing in people at the deadline and having them be good contributors for the team like even I think the best you know like Channing Fry helped with the vibes um but mm-hmm. you know like like Kyle Corver was a perfect fit on the 2017 team but he really didn't play that well in 2017 because he was they were just using him as like a floor space or so it's hard to bring a guy in mid-season too you know like right. it's not as easy as you would think. Right. So, yeah, and it's like all the great Cal Corver moments happened at, like, the following year when they could get him integrated into what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So it is it is tough. So it's like if you're just making a, a lateral move, it makes sense not to make a move. It's just when you bring in the salary cap and all those other implications that that's where, it's, that's where it becomes a little trickier. So I get what I, I get what Kobe's saying. I don't agree with what Kobe's mm-hmm. saying, though. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention this rumor that, it, well, not really even a rumor. Uh, Will Barton on the Wizards, uh, they're working on a buyout. Uh, there's nothing confirmed as the Cavs are looking at it. That's something that if Kobe is going to make a move, I think that's a very low risk, moderate reward to take. He you know, can play the wing. He can knock down threes. If he doesn't earn a, rota- a spot in the rotation, you're not really missing out on anything because you have an open roster spot anyway. So really quickly, I do want to hear what you think about Will Barton. Uh, I think it would be good. It's it's so tough with um, buyout guys because mm-hmm. usually with buyout guys, you're going to like a team that has 
that like other players view is could go to the finals. You know, like the Cavs of 2017, that's a buyout destination. Cavs in 2023, I don't know if that's a buyout destination. So mm, it just becomes, it becomes really tough to like, there are guys who I think would fit in theory, but whether or not it's something that they would want to do, that's mm. where it's, that's where it's really tricky. So it's like, yes, I do think Will Barton would fit. I, I mean, they have an open roster spot. Like, yeah, give yeah. it, give, give, give anyone that fits that. Yeah. Give anyone who fits that profile a shot because like people are clamoring for like Sharif Cooper to get that spot or something. Mm. And it's like Sharif Cooper. I really like Sharif Cooper. But he's not like they're not going to be like, oh, we're in a tight playoff series, Sharif. Why don't yeah, why don't yeah. you come in and give us like ten minutes? Like that's <laughs> be, not going to be the happen. X factor, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. So anyone they, that that they could bring in, yeah, I'm I'm certainly interested. I just don't yeah. know if it's realistic. It's, it's just yeah. Tough. That that's why I mentioned. I don't know if there's anything concrete there. I just wanted to throw that out there, see what your take was, and then also we'll we'll wrap up here talking about this guy who just set the all-time scoring record. I don't know if you heard about that, but LeBron James has now scored more points in NBA history than anyone else, which he kind of already has if you count the playoffs. But for a guy who, I mean, really you can't talk about the Cavs franchise without mentioning LeBron because so much of even just that record was spent in Cleveland. So I do want to hear kind of your thoughts on LeBron and the history that was just made. Uh. Yeah, it's just, you know, LeBron's crazy. <laughs> uh, 23,000 <laughs> 23, 23, points came in a Cavalier uniform. That's ridiculous on its own. You know, 38,390 points is, like, you can't even comprehend it. It's just one of those things that, like, you just hear the number and just washes over you because you're like, yeah, that doesn't even make mm-hmm. sense. Um, but one of the crazy things, like, people talk about, Oh, he's not a, he's not a scorer, you know, he's a, yeah. he's a, he's a playmaker. And I do, you know, like LeBron views himself like that. Like I, I get it. He's fourth in assists all time, which is also kind of crazy. Um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> I think, I think he's, I think he, I think this just kind of really solidifies that he is one of the best scorers of all time. And maybe the best. Gets, some are saying, um, and it's just, it's just, he doesn't have like a signature move. Like, I, like Zach, Zach Lowe talked about this. He doesn't have a signature move. He doesn't have the Dirk fadeaway. They're not going to put a little spot on the floor. Like, oh yeah, this was like where LeBron scored all of his points, but he's just every, like you look at his basketball reference page and you're like, wow. In 2006, he averaged 31.4 points per game in 2023. Mm-hmm. He's averaging 30 points a game. Like, wow, he's just, he's just the same player. And it's like, no, because he's just complete. He's always been evolving as a scorer. Like mm-hmm. in 2006, he was dunking on everyone. And that was good enough to get you 31 points per game. But he's just really, like, developed so many aspects of his game. He can Now he can play in the post. He can, he can do pull-up shooting. He can, you know, there's so many ways that he can attack and beat you. And I think that just kind of gets undersold when you talk mm. about LeBron as a scorer, like yeah, he's one of the best scorers because he doesn't have a signature move because he can do everything better than basically anybody else, mm. uh, you know, basically. So it's just, <laughs> it's just crazy. And it just really like cements that 
we will never see somebody like him. Yeah. Oh, never. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous at his age, thirty-eight. Of course, the athleticism has dwindled, but he is still like one of the best athletes in the NBA, which is just unbelievable at his age. The fact that, I mean, as far back as 2012, you could really see him start to expand his range and take a serious look at like, okay, the athleticism isn't going to last forever. I don't think he planned on 10 years later still being an elite, elite athlete. But in 2012, he shot 40% from the three-point line. And ever since then, he's had, you know, a couple on and off years here. This year, he's not shooting the ball that great. But he's hitting 2.2 three-pointers a game, which is up there for his career best. Like, it's right up there. And just seeing him evolve and grow, like, in 2007 when he was averaging 30 and he led the league in scoring, I don't think anyone expected, you know, almost over 10 years later that he's going to be a three-point shooting threat now, too. Like, that just wasn't in the books. No one it's so rare for a player who is already at one of the most elite slashers to ever play the game to continue to expand and, you know, learn how to play in the post, shoot three pointers, do all of these different things that has gotten him to 38,000. And again, like you said, that number doesn't even sound real to me. Like growing up, that was the record that everyone talked about. Like that is never going to be broken. It was Kareem's scoring record. And averaging a triple-double. Those are the two things that everyone's like, that's never going to happen. And I've seen both of those happen now. So, you know, I guess yeah. we'll see. <laughs> never say never. But, yeah, it's just yeah. it. It's just, it's just crazy because it's like you look at, like, contemporaries like Dwayne Wade. He was really, like, obviously he, has, he had health, health problems that, you know, um, made him leave the league. But it's just like he was really good at one thing. And then when that athleticism dried up, he never was able to develop elite counters to just stay in the league. And like, that's what LeBron has done where it's like, he's just so much different of a scorer now than he was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but he's still just as good. He's just doing it in different ways and some of the same ways as well. So it's just like Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are like, Oh, he's just an athletic freak. And it's like, yes, he is. But combined with that is just, crazy skill so Mm. it's he he doesn't get enough credit for that no people will always mention he's not kevin durant he's not a kobe when it comes to scoring but i mean he's just as skilled as those players it might not look like it because he's not doing his you know these crazy fadeaway whatever shots but he is just as skilled offensively as those guys if not more he's more skilled because he does it more he does it more efficiently than those guys Mm. over over his career and he's scored more points so it's just Mm-hmm. it's just that yeah it's just the way that he does it like it's the you know scoring like he does it doesn't it doesn't take anyone's breath away it's not like oh wow that's like nobody else can do that like when you see kevin durant make those make those 15 footers with someone in his face it's like wow no one else in the world can do that and it's you know mm-hmm. that's true but no one else in the world can beat you 20 different ways and that's what and that's what lebron does so mm-hmm. congratulations yeah. to him for sure uh, congratulations to LeBron. His 23,000 points with Cleveland would be the 11th most for uh, points with a single franchise. And I think that's just another ridiculous thing considering he has only played a portion of his career here and he's the 11th most for a single franchise. Uh, I guess not that surprising considering he's the all-time leading scorer now, but that's just a crazy stat. Uh, 
do you think anyone has a chance of passing his Cavs scoring record uh, on this current team? I, I would probably just say uh, no, but it's, if Donovan Mitchell plays eight years, 10 years here, I mean, I don't know what the math would be. Do you think anyone on this current roster could catch him? I think it's possible. If, mm-hmm. if you have someone like, like, for example, the way the league's going with scoring being a lot easier than it was mm-hmm. 20 years ago, you know, it's possible that if you have someone on, like if someone stays on the cast for 16 years, like if Darius Garland's on the cast for 16 years and he's a 20 point per game scorer has yeah. higher peaks, you know, maybe he can do it. Same with, you know, if Donovan Mitchell stays on the team for a long time, but it's just like, it's a lot of durability and it's a lot of being available every single night. Like he played, mm-hmm. you know, he, every year he was with the Cavs, he played seven. He played like, he played north of seventy games, yeah. all but all I mean, but one year with the Cavs. Unreal. So it's unreal just like, durability. So that's like the thing where it's like, yeah, you know, if Mitchell stayed on the team for fifteen years and was completely healthy, yeah, he could. Mm-hmm. But that's probably like we probably won't see that. So <laughs> yeah, it's I, just, I just wanted to mention that to put it into perspective, how crazy it is. That, probably you know everything he's accomplished. Probably the best chance is like Mobley, somebody who. <laughs> Who's, who's you know who's young? He's so big, and if he played right. here, even if he he could play fifteen years in the NBA and still make a, a post hook, you know. So right, someone like that, like if you if he adds to his game, like we kind of hope he does, mm-hmm. and someone who just has like he has the instincts of like relocating, finding finding really easy ways to score. Like that's what Mobley does, where it's like you're like Mobley doesn't do anything but he's averaging like 18 points a game it's because he does all these little things to just get himself open and he's been doing that you know he's just in his second year you can see so many avenues for him improving so like yeah if he improves mm-hmm. if he stays with the team forever and if lebron doesn't come back for a couple of years to just make it yeah unreasonable <laughs> maybe he'll just keep adding to that and I, I mean even even the all-time record that's i don't know how much longer he'll play uh but that number could be just unbeatable at a certain point even you do mention that scoring is easier. Uh, I want to mention another record just to kind of, you know, shoot a stray here at someone. I do think Curry's record might end up getting broken just because of how insane the three-point revolution has been. But even if that doesn't get broken, I was just thinking about it since we're talking about all-time records. Ray Allen's record is going to get shattered like over and over again in the next 10 mm-hmm. years. There are so many, like James Harden, I think is 300 away. If I remember, he's about to pass Ray Allen. Well, that's, well, that's the, well, that's, and that's the, part of the game. Right. It's and that's the, like, it's the change of style. And that's the, that's the Jetty Osman is fifth in Cavaliers history. Yeah. For three pointers. We're, we're going like, to see crazy three point gonna, records being broken. Like, he's going to pass Mark Price if he stays on the team for any length mm-hmm. of time. And he's not even like a starter. Like he's no. not even <laughs> like a, like, you know, so it's just like, that's just how the games work. And so, yeah, the Steph Curry won because, he didn't shoot as many threes as he could have his rookie mm-hmm. year. And it's he's like, also been injured recently towards right. the back end of his career. So, so it's so, like someone like someone like Luca, who's not yeah, particularly uh-huh. a great three-point shooter. But Damian like Lillard, maybe even, depending how much longer yeah. Dame goes. So, I, again, I wanted to bring that up. Just another opportunity to shine how unbelievable LeBron's record is because that, of course, one day I'm sure it will be broken, but that record will most likely stand for a very, very, very long time. And other than Stockton's assists, which we can, you know, there was a whole Jaron Jackson conversation about scorekeepers helping you out. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff with Stockton's assists that maybe the scorekeeper was helping him out a little bit. But other than that record, 
I don't know if there's a more unbreakable record right now in in sports, maybe. Yeah, well, it's just you're gonna have to come back to come back to that and like when he's done. Because the thing is, he can. Mm. It's just how, it's just how long he wants to play. Because it's like he's yeah. he's always found counters. So it's like, what is it? Kareem was playing when he was 42. It's like LeBron can certainly be playing at 42. It's like he could be playing mm. if he wants to keep playing like 43, 44. That's not unreasonable. So it's just yeah. the craziest thing. The craziest thing with LeBron is that he's had he had the best like age 19 season that we've ever seen. And he's also had the best age 38 season we've ever seen. And he will yeah. likely have the best age 39 season we've ever seen. So he's just being so good so early and so good so late in his career. That's where it's just like you, you'll never see somebody like that. And then also the longevity, you know, mm-hmm. like playing every single game. He was playing every single game basically until his last year, his his last couple of years with the Lakers. Basically, his first ever since he's been on the Lakers, he's he's always yeah. had injury problems, um, which is understandable because he's you know he has a lot of miles on his getting up there, yeah, right. But it's it's just crazy. We'll never see anything mm-hmm. like it. I mean, he enters the league with possibly probably the highest expectations of a player ever, and the fact that he surpassed that is just unbelievable. I've been emotionally preparing myself for LeBron to retire for like four years now. I didn't think it would happen right away, but like, I just knew the decline would probably come and he'd be out of here soon. And he just keeps going like 30 points per game right now. I can't even wrap my head around that. So it's just, it's crazy. And you couldn't even put a worse team around him. Like, like stylistically, it's like, what would you want to like put around LeBron and they put everything not but, Russell Westbrook. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. So and, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens after after all these Lakers trades. But it's just like, yeah, the, the team just never made sense, and he was still carrying himself, still it, killing it. Right. So that's where it's just like, man, if you, it's like, yeah, if he, if he just wanted to be like, you know, if you just wanted to hang out when he's forty two years old and just kill people in the post and jump out to the three point line and just, you know, just create for others, like like an old man, Kevin love. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like he could do that yeah. for as long as he wants. He has, he has the vision. We'll have the strength. It's just, yeah, it, it's just ridiculous. Mm. And if people are disappointed, the Cavs didn't make a move at the deadline this year, just stay tuned for when LeBron is ready to come back. Cause they'll, they'll cook something up. I'm sure. <laughs> but fingers uh, crossed. Think, yeah, we'll see. I would love it. I don't know. He did when he broke the record, he did mention that he thinks he can win a championship with any franchise. That was, I think that's a very deliberate thing of LeBron to say. So, I mean, yeah. we'll see, but uh, thanks for coming on Jackson. Another great conversation hit all the topics we wanted to hit here. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep. And uh, go Cavs. I agree. Go Cavs. <laughs>